All right, so um, what I did with this last thing, this is the last Sunday school we're going to have because Tracy uh, doesn't want to keep doing Sunday school. I think Zach's ready to close, close it up too. And then if we did that, if they both quit having Sunday school and I continued, half of you wouldn't be sticking around because the kids are no longer <laughs> being cared for. And, and there's, yes, and more importantly, there's Christmas pr- practice, which means I have to kick it off down, down the road a few weeks. And, and I'm ready to call it quits, too. This chapter, the, I, I really focused on is chapter 6. Okay, chapter 5 was a sliver. And then, then the epilogue and so on. You, you can read all that yourselves. But chapter 6 is pretty important to consider because uh, this has kind of uh, raised its head as an eschatological viewpoint in recent years especially. Um, some people have decided or have been promoting this. And it's a very, very possible that Gary DeMar is actually leaned into this um, eschatology, this uh, way of looking at the things of, of the end. But you're going to find this kind of a little bit of a freakish view, and um, you'll see in just a second. So this chapter is primarily aimed at what is called full preterism or consistent preterism. The word preterism um, is something that you maybe had not heard before. I have used it at times, but it comes uh, from the Latin word praetor, which means past at, or beyond, it says, but past. Okay, so preterism means past. It's already taken place, right? Applied to eschatology, it means that prophecies were already fulfilled in the past, Every Christian, at some level, is a preterist, okay? We do believe that there are prophecies that have been fulfilled in the past. For example, Jesus' birth as Messiah come to earth was based on prophecy, and it already happened. It's already occurred. Uh, Same with Christ's suffering and death on behalf of human sin. There are prophets that foretold that this suffering servant um, would come, it's already happened. It's not going to happen in our future. It's happened in our past. It's preterist, right? However, the great difference between chapter 6 people, right, between full or consistent preterists and all others that believe some things have been fulfilled has to do with their belief that all prophecy is complete. Full preterists or consistent preterists believe that there is nothing that has not already been fulfilled. There is nothing future to look forward to when it comes to God's word and prophecy. Now, you might go, huh? Right? And you should say, huh? So here's what a full preterist would believe. I just put down six points, and this is really where they're coming from. All biblical prophecy occurred in or up to 70 A.D. Nothing has occurred. Everything occurred by 70 A.D. Good, bad. Anything that anybody else thinks is going to happen has already happened. It's over, including, okay, we'll keep going, Christ's second coming, they believe, refers to 70 A.D., at which time the final judgment, they believe, occurred, and he judged the living and the dead, though it was unseen in some cases and therefore would not be recorded. 
okay? All of that happened. They say the second comings happened in 70 A.D. The last judgment happened in 70 A.D. Three, the resurrection of the dead referred to the raising of life in heaven in the Old Testament. Okay, the resurrection of the dead, they think, has already taken place in 70 A.D. How in the world, how in the world could they believe such a thing? Well, the resurrection of the dead, they feel, referred to the raising to life in heaven of the Old Testament saints. So before 70 A.D., the, uh, the Old Testament saints were dead and buried, but they did not raise to life to be with Jesus until after um, Jesus was ascended and perhaps after the destruction of the, uh, the Old Covenant people. Okay? They also believe that the raising, uh, the resurrection occurred to people who were still alive, who were considered New Testament saints. And so they were raised, in, in their view, in a, in a, a spiritual rebirth, okay, a regeneration. Now, the New Testament saint who was living upon the earth, Peter, Paul, um, Timothy, and the Christians in Laodicea, the Christians here, there, and everywhere, they were resurrected in the sense of now they were raised with Christ. And there's language in the New Testament that speaks about believers being raised with Christ and ruling with Christ. That's, that's, a, that's a true concept. However, they believe, the uh, full preterist believes, that that was all Jesus meant by the resurrection of the dead. So they believe the resurrection occurred in 70 A.D. when Jesus returned, quote-unquote, and it was not a bodily resurrection at all. It wasn't bodily at all. It was all spiritual stuff. Okay? Number four, all enemies were defeated in 70 A.D., including death. Because the real enemy of Jesus and his church were the theocratic kingdom of the Jews. So death was defeated because... Life had been given to or delivered to both the New Testament saint on earth and the Old Testament saint in the grave. So, in other words, um, this idea of resurrection, um, releasing the New Testament earthly saint from the bondage of the Jews and the persecution of the Jews, etc., etc., when when the temple was destroyed and the the city was surrounded by the Romans and they defeated defeated the Jews with uh, fierce severity, that was when death was defeated, according to this view. And, and the life was given to the church, okay, in, in its uh, being released from the, the grave persecution that the Jews had been bringing. So that's how they would deal with passages like that. Five, therefore Jesus' work is complete. He is no longer ruling from the right hand of the Father because he has already given the kingdom back to the Father. Okay? And then number six, when believers die, that's it. They go to be with God in heaven. There is no future second coming. There is no future judgment. There is no future bodily resurrection. And Jesus is not ruling as king at the Father's right hand. That's all been done by 70 A.D., is what the full preterist believes.
Oh, they're all over here and there, little little pockets. Uh, Andrew Sandlin says most of them are like figuring these things out in their basement, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's it's not like they don't um, make a uh, an argument or try to make an argument with with scripture. They definitely are trying to make an argument from scripture, and they would accuse the church, um, you and I, and. Uh, the last 2,000 years probably of church history as being not so concerned about the Bible as we are about the creeds, all right, and, and the confessions, okay? Well, that is, uh, Sandlin says, that's, that's a, a way that other heretics have, have uh, accused the church of, oh, you're, you're just thinking about the creeds. You don't care about what the Bible says. And, and Sandlin says, do you know how many arguments have been made in support of Orthodox Christianity in eschatology, it's kind of like a red herring or what, whatever they call it. That's empty words being, being thrown out by, by the, yeah, Andy? No, this is not a position we espouse to at all. In fact, Sandlin and I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. No, good. Because I think if Thelma Miedema was here, she'd be going, wait a minute, I don't know, <laughs> what are you saying? And, and I, this is not the, the position of um, Sandlin. It's not the position we would hold to. This is uh, what Sandlin would say is a heretical position because it, it falls out of conformity with the Apostles' Creed, with the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, etc., uh, that's the question. Uh, the question is, Gary DeMar gone down this path, and he was, he's been accused of going down this path. And, and his answer in his podcast for weeks wouldn't really hit the nail on the head. He would never come to a point where he'd say, no, I'm against full preterism. Um, he wouldn't say it. And, you know, let me, let's just let the Bible speak for itself. I'm a slave to the Bible, and, and so on and so forth. Sandlin actually got all over DeMar, and so did Kenneth Gentry, who's another guy who deals with a lot of eschatological arguments, and, and more. Uh, they just really railed against DeMar and said, man, you are leading the church astray with this teaching. It's, it's as, uh, uh, of the devil, basically, um, heretical. But it doesn't mean to say, okay, that, um, that, we, that he's taught all wrong. I mean, there are some great points that uh, DeMar has made in the past. There are, who, who doesn't believe that things have been fulfilled? Some things have certainly been fulfilled. And some things were certainly fulfilled that Jesus said that took place in 70 AD. But there are, are plenty of other important things that we wait to see the fulfillment in. And that's the point Sandlin wants to make clear. Chapter 6 is a not only a, a, a different point of view, it's a heretical point of view, where these other, other positions that we've discussed, um, dispensational premillennialism, traditional premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism, every one of them at least believes that Jesus is coming again. There will be a physical bodily resurrection of the, uh, of the good and the evil people, uh, all, all believers and unbelievers. A final judgment will take place. Death will be no more. And there will be eternity, either in the lake of fire or in God's paradise, heavenly presence, however you want to say it.
all of what we talked up to before today, you'd say at least they're orthodox. They believe what the creeds say. Whereas this position steps out of orthodoxy. This position disagrees with the creeds. So let's just take a quick look at the creeds. The Nicene Creed says this, The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Okay, so there we have, he ascended, is seated at the right hand. He will come again with glory. Future tense, the Nicene Creed was written well after 70 AD, and yet the Nicene Creed is still saying he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. The Athanasian Creed, which is on the next page, a section of it, is even more uh, emphatic. He suffered for our salvation. He descended to hell. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will arise bodily and give an accounting of their own deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, and those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. Okay? So there again, Athanasian Creed, written well after 70 AD, maintaining these same important truths. Now, of course, the creeds have been built from Scripture. At least that's the goal. They're built from Scripture. And the creeds are, are much more uh, of a bedrock that we should be coming into, um, uh, we should be standing on than even our confessions, okay? So the creeds are not the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, and the Canons of Dort. Those are our flavors of distinction built upon the Bible and the creeds, okay? The creeds are, are agreed to by Christianity beyond the Reformed tradition. It's agreed to by the Greek Orthodox Church, by the Roman Catholic Churches, by all those other Lutherans and Baptists and the Methodists and so on and so forth. Uh, at least, to be called Christian, you can't part from the creeds. Okay. Now let's take a look at some Bible verses that uh, Sandlin brings up as proofs against this full preterism. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Sandlin believes Jesus' second coming has to do with the final judgment, not to bear sin like Jesus did at his first coming. You'll find that in page 60. So he came first, right, to be a sacrifice for sin, to provide a remedy for our, what ails us. The second time he comes, he comes for judgment. He comes to, to, to grab hold of his own, etc., give bodily resurrection to all, a final judgment, and eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 28 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, 
for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subject to, subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So the idea behind that is when that future second coming takes place and the resurrection of the dead takes place and the final judgment and eternity, death being done away with as well, at that time, the Lord Jesus, who's reigning from the right hand of the Father, turns the kingdom over to the Father, and eternity begins. If I can say it that way, <laughs> eternity begins, right? And that makes sense. Eternity is realized. How about we say it like that? So Sandlin believes this passage proves, one, Christ rose from the dead as the first fruits of many that would rise. The whole idea of the first fruits, right, is the first fruit they took out of the field when they, when they planted and, and they harvested the first fruit. But then it was just like a, a tithe of what was to come later with the, the greater harvest, right? So Christ rose from the dead as the first fruits of many that would rise. Two, that he reigns from heaven. Three, that he will come back to earth from there. Four, then he will resurrect the saints. Five, then the end will come, at which time death itself will be vanquished. Six, then Jesus delivers up the kingdom to his Father. Seven, then God will be all in all. You'll find that in page 62. All future. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. They weren't necessarily Jews. Didn't bring anything up about the Jews needing to be you know, um, dealt with and, and so on and so forth. He seems to be dealing with all of humanity in his language here. Next, Sandlin writes, it's obvious the coming mentioned is the second coming. Why? Because all Christ's enemies haven't yet been subjugated. Because the saints haven't yet been bodily resurrected as Jesus, their first fruits, was. Because death itself hasn't been destroyed. Because Christ is still reigning. To say this command occurred in A.D. 70 means all these things have already occurred. That view is palpably absurd. I think he's trying to make it real clear he's against this view, right? And for good reason. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is another verse that, uh, well, Philippians 2 is what Sandlin brings up. This is what it said. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not e count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sandlin concludes, we're obliged to accept that Jesus is no longer the ruling king. Sorry. We're if, I, I, I think I missed something here, like the beginning of the sentence. If, right, maybe. We're obliged to accept that Jesus is no longer the ruling king, despite the fact that Philippians 2 tells us that he will rule as Lord until every knee, not just every old covenant Jewish knee, bows to him. So he's saying, 
it's, it's quite, quite evident that not every knee is bowing, even still. And therefore, Jesus must continue to rule until all are put underneath him and subjected to him. One additional Sandlin quote, page 65, he writes, This scenario is more bizarre than the most fanciful dispensational interpretation devised. <laughs> Dispensational premillennialism was the first one we ever did with all the raptures and, and tribulations and antichrist and, and all these types of things. A couple comings of Jesus, one at the rapture, then another at the, uh, at the setting up of his thousand-year kingdom. That's all premillennial dispensationalism. Sandlin says, this is even more bizarre than that. Okay. A couple of thoughts I had, and I... And I uh, We'll close with this. It's interesting, and, and it's not just in this, in this realm of eschatology, but it's interesting how smart people, if they truly want to, can look at something long enough and hard enough to make different sense of it. You know? We've got a great ability with these brains, these minds God has given us, to see things uh, wrongly, but really convince ourselves that it's the right way to see them. Um, and then I said, I write, there is a brainwashing that must take place to leave God's truth for any error. It's a brainwashing. It goes something like this. You redefine a word or a passage and read the text over again according to the new definition. Then repeat. Read it again over and over as many times as necessary, as necessary until... It makes perfect sense to your mind. Now, it's time to fit in other passages to agree with the one you just became sure of. Okay? So we convince ourselves, if we really want to, to take anything. I don't care if you have Paul stand up with a, is that considered a plaid shirt? I don't, I don't know. Oh, maybe Jason's got the plaid shirt. Right? Stand up and you decide, that's not a plaid shirt. How do I know it's not a plaid shirt? And you just start to reason with your mind and why you wouldn't technically call it a plaid shirt. And, and so on and so forth, and pretty soon, you really don't believe he's wearing a plaid shirt at all, right? Now, it seems incredibly goofy, but we do that with all kinds of things. And especially teachers who are in their basements figuring out a better way to view some of this stuff, right? They'll do it. Or, or justify your sin in the same fashion. Yep. Right. Right, oh yeah, we, because of sin in us, we also don't want to see certain things in Scripture, and we'd rather see other things. Um, but I, I just think it's, it's pretty incredible how, um, how we'll take and use our minds to see something we apparently must want to see in, in contrast to what the truth is. And uh, we're all susceptible to it, and it's, uh, it's deplorable, for sure, but it, it's uh, somewhat common. And I think you could say this, every difference that churches, that people, etc. have in relationship to what God actually says, right? And we might all be messed up on some, in some degree level. Doubtless we, we are. But every difference between churches every difference between denominations, every difference between views of eschatology, every difference between views of Arminianism, Calvinism, or whatever ism you want to throw in there, it's all because 
we've trained ourselves to believe a certain way about certain passages. And um, it could have been a fabrication, you know, taught to us. It could be something in our own minds that we lean toward it because we want it. But uh, truth is truth. Let God be true and every man a liar is, is a, a scripture verse. And that is absolutely the case. And so, buyer beware or, or thinker be careful or whatever. Janice? Yeah, I, okay, so when we talk about a bodily resurrection, we don't believe that has happened until Jesus comes back. Then, then we are raised and given new bodies. Some who are living when he returns, they just get changed. They get, they get their new body without dying. Everybody else has died. Now, we would believe that there is something to Jesus, uh, the saints of the old who have passed away are with Jesus or are in Abraham's bosom, they are with God. We don't believe they're waiting for that. But um, they don't have their finished bodies yet. Their bodies still are buried up on the hill. That's the second coming that'll, that'll take place. That's when the resurrection takes place and the final judgment. Yes, Jesus... Jesus would be the only one that has his heavenly body, as I would understand it, a spiritual, material body somehow together. Um, a uh, What's the scriptural word is used? Um, imperishable body, okay? I don't believe, even though like Elijah never died, he was taken. And who was the other Old Testament? Enoch, was it? Or somebody else, uh, never died, and he just was no more. It's assumed that he was translated into, into the heavens. Um, it doesn't mean that we believe anything about new bodies, still bodies, or no bodies, right? It's just uh, we do know that Christ is the first fruits of those who rose from the dead, and that that's the uh, full harvest will come at the end. But we do think there's some truth to the idea that we need to be born again. We're given new life by God, and that's part of our Christian experience. And uh, same with the ruling. We do rule with Christ somehow uh, in the heavenlies upon the earth, and that's, that's all good. And those are spiritual realities. But we don't wipe out the idea of a future bodily resurrection at all, as the full preterists do. Any other thoughts or comments or questions? Is that, who, who, who has not heard of this before? Raise your hand. Never heard of this viewpoint before, full preterism, okay? Well, most of you maybe have. <laughs> it's not, not commonly uh, understood or taught, but. All right, uh, let's pray. And then we're done. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to, to, to wrestle with another um, view, a very, uh, I think, contra view to uh, the creeds and to what's been normal Christianity, even though there's been different flavors of normal Christianity. I pray that we would be uh, students of your word, and, but also respecters of church history. In Jesus' name, amen.